0: Everyone, and I'm glad each one of you are here, you know, there's no better place to be than here, you know, before the Lord, worshiping together with the family of God. What an awesome, what an awesome privilege we have. Uh, I just want to mention that, um, I don't know if you noticed, we have a bulletin board as you go out to the left, and uh, it actually... um, has clipboards on there for the different activities that are going on through the week. And, and, of course, this week we have our adult dinner night out. If you need to sign up up for it, make sure you do. We're going to, I think, to retreat this, this week. And uh, so put your name down if you'd like. And there's other things there as well. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, and not only for the salvation that... He brings, but also for the knowledge and the direction and the guidance that He also gives us. We're thankful, Lord, for You and for Your sacrifice on the cross that we might be forgiven of all of our sin, trespasses and sin, and to be able to stand before You as a people cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And I ask, Heavenly Father, as we continue looking into Your Word, as we break it open, You would use it to minister to us and to encourage us in all of Your ways, and I give you thanks for all things, asking your blessing upon the teaching of your word and upon this body, and I pray all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, when I was uh, working on this portion of scripture, I was thinking of uh, all the books I've read, read in my life. I mean, um, actually, before I went to college, most of the books I read were comic books, and um, do you guys remember classic comics? Are any of you old enough to remember classic comics? You don't know a classic. Some of you do. Well, classic comic books, what they did is they took classic books, regular novels, and they made it into a comic book. And so when I was in high school and you had to write a book report, instead of reading the whole book, you'd get a classic comic book. And you'd read it and write your your book report, get a good grade and all that. But anyway... um, after I graduated from high school, while I was in the Army, then I was uh, in college and in graduate school and postgraduate school school, I read a lot of books. And I've read a lot of books since then. I love to read. But I'll tell you what. There's no book like this book. It never gets old. No matter how many times you go through it, no matter how long you study it or how hard you study it, it not only never gets old, but it never stops teaching you valuable lessons. You know... Um, as most of you know, in our fellowship, we do what's called systematic expositional preaching. We preach for the entire Bible. In fact, we're in Exodus chapter 29, if you want to know where we are today, Exodus chapter 29. And as you preach through the scriptures, every single time there are so many new meanings that come out, so many new things the Lord is showing you. And a lot of the portions of scripture that we come to, like today's, seem to be very difficult I mean it's like, what do you mean it's talking about this part of the sacrifice and that part of the sacrifice and what you do with the blood for Aaron and his sons and Mo and all these kinds of things, but they have meaning. And one of the things that uh for instance in, in, in uh verses twenty one or twenty and twenty one, which Pastor Frank Jr. covered last session, it it ends with what seems to be probably one of the strangest commands that you're you know, you'll find in Scripture. But it has deep meaning. And that's what we have to understand. So many things that seem, super, you know, on, the, on the, the surface might not seem to have that much meaning. As you look into it, it, has deep, deep meaning. For instance, in those verses, it talks about putting the blood of the sacrifice in the tip of the right ear, the, right, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot. And you think, what? Well, it has definite significance. First off, you have to remember that the right side is considered the dominant side, you know, the working side. That's what we should, you know, concentrate on. And, of course, putting it on the ear, the blood on the lobe of the ear, it represented hearing and obeying the Word of God. You know, and putting it on the, the right hand means... Being active in the ministry of the Word of God and the right foot means being willing to go out and serve the Lord. So they all have deep meaning. And in the same way, as we conclude this chapter, chapter 29, there seems to be some very unusual things that we're covering, but one of the things we're going to find is that the meaning behind it is very deep. Have you ever had in your life where the Lord has done certain things or has led you in a certain direction and you're thinking, why? And then, all of a sudden, you find out the Lord had a real specific reason for it. You know what I'm saying? You know, why did you send me here, Lord? Or why didn't you allow me to go here? And then you look back on it, you're so thankful, and you realize the lessons the Lord has shown you in it. And so we're picking up in uh, Exodus 29, starting with verse 22. Verse 22. ...of Exodus 29. Also you shall take the fat of the ram... ...the fat of the tail... ...the fat that covers the entrails... ...the fatty lobes attached to the liver... ...the two kidneys... ...and the fat of them... ...the right thigh... ...for it is the the ram of consecration. See what I'm saying? It seems like, what? But believe me, there are meanings in here... ...that the Lord desires us to glean... ...from these portions of Scripture. 23, verse 23. One loaf of bread... One cake made with oil and one wafer uh, from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you should put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons. Now, Aaron was to be the high priest and his sons were to be priests unto the Lord. So it's talking about preparing priests unto the Lord. And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them in the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the bread of the ram, of Aaron's consecration, and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be your portion. In other words, that portion is going to be Moses. It's interesting, when we look at this, we're going to find... The first portion is given to the Lord. Then it was to Moses, then to Aaron and his sons. Verse 26: Then you shall take the bread of the ram. Of, uh, you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast uh, of the wave offering which is waved. And the thigh uh, of the heave offering which is raised, uh, of that which is for Aaron, and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel. In other words, this is actually offerings. This is, uh, in a sense, the pay that is given uh, to Aaron and his sons in, in ministering unto the Lord. This is how the people are taking care of his needs as well by offering up their sacrifices. "...for it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offerings to the Lord. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. And the son which becomes priest in his place after Aaron dies shall put them on for seven days." When he enters the tabernacle of meeting, the minister uh, in the holy place, and you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of of the the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meetings. They shall eat those things uh, with which the atonement was made to consecrate and sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar which you make atonement for. Uh, cleanse the altar um, when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be uh, altar must be holy. Now, when you look at this, of course, it's like, what are they talking about here? Well, you start off, and the fat. Uh, And meat from the rump of the ram was considered the greatest delicacy of that time. And that was the first fruit. That was offered up to the Lord. And it signifies to us the Lord deserves our best. Not our second best or third best. He deserves our best because he's worthy. It's only in Jesus Christ that you and I can, can boast of having eternal life. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can have assurance that when we leave this world, we're going to be with him. That's the promise we have from God. And in this case, um, it's talking about those that are being consecrated to the Lord have to be willing to make this kind of sacrifice. If we're going to serve the Lord, we have to give him our best, right? He doesn't want our second best. He wants us to give him our best because the ministry unto the Lord is the most important thing that any of us will do. And in the spiritual sense we have to understand that God fills us with His Spirit for the purpose of allowing us to offer Him our best. We can't even do that on our own. His Spirit fills us, overwhelms us, and gives us the direction and strength and foresight of ministry in order to serve Him. And so that's why the Lord always has to have the best we can offer Him. And the wave offering and the heave offering... Uh, of the bread and the meat that's mentioned here, um, is a testimony of worship. It's an acknowledgement of who God is, and and that He alone is to be worshipped. He alone is worthy to receive all of our adoration, all of our praise. And the thing we have to understand, this body that we have is just temporary, right? We know that. But the In our cardi, our heart, our inner man, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And his spirit quickens or makes our spirit alive. And so our spirit and soul, which are non-material, one day are going to leave this body and be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, how can you be absent from the body if there wasn't some part that wasn't body? You understand what I'm saying? So our spirit and soul, when the body dies, we go to be with the Lord. And then, of course, we know that one day, um, very, maybe very soon, maybe sooner than we think, the Lord is going to come back for his church. And when that happens, you know, these bodies will be changed to glorified bodies, and then we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We just have so many exciting things um, to look forward to in the, in the Lord. Now, now these wave offerings and these heave, heave offerings are actually in the Aramaic, they're called Dimitra. And what Dimitra was is that you had... Uh, the wave offering, was, which went back and forth, and you had the heave offering, which went up and down, and this was done several times. And many believed that Dimensiona was indicating, it was a, a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ because it was, the offering was made side to side and up and down because it's only on the cross of Jesus Christ that the true sacrifice for sin was ever made. You know, Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. Sin had painted a crimson stain, but he washes us white as snow. That's the promise we have from God's word. Now, this offering, it also tells us, was to be a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. And I love what it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ." among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And it goes on to tell us we are the aroma of Christ. In other words, our very countenance, our love, our worship of the Lord, when we're around people, it's the aroma of Christ. And those that are looking for salvation, it's an exciting thing. They want to talk to us. They want to be around us. They want to hear what we have to say. But to those who don't want to be saved, to those who are rejecting Christ, the aroma of Christ on us, is anything but sweet-smelling. They just want to get us away from them. But the reality is that in Jesus Christ, we should not literally give off an aroma, but everywhere we go, people should know that we're different, that we're Christians, that we're saved. You know, um, I haven't this year, but for many years, you know, I substituted at ESM High School. And People used to say to me, You're different. And I didn't walk in and say, Hi, here I am, Frank Thomas, Pastor Brian Calvert am a born again Christian. You're gonna be so glad to have me here. I didn't say anything. I just walked in and did my work and was nice to people, and people would say to me, You're different. And probably a lot of you have had that same thing happen to you. You know, you're at work, you're doing what you're supposed to do, and people are saying to you, You're different. Well, the reason you're different is you belong to Jesus Christ, and there is, in a spiritual sense, an aroma of Christ that's given off from you because of your difference. And people notice it, and it opens up so many opportunities for you to have a chance to share your faith. You know, as believers, we're supposed to, Scripture tells us, make the most of every opportunity. Isn't that what the Word says? And you need to be willing to do that. And one of the things that my darling wife taught me, and I, I do this often now, but have you ever been in a store and you're checking out, whether it's a grocery store or a, or a you know, department store or whatever, but you're in a store checking out, and the person checking you out, you can tell they wish that they had a gun to shoot you. Have you ever had that? And they're checking out. Try this. How's your day going? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know what? I'm going to be praying for you. I hope your day goes better. And you'd be amazed how a smile comes on their face. And sometimes it opens up some lines of communication. And at least you've had a chance to to share some love of Christ to the people that you're coming in contact with that are feeling miserable. In all of us, we have jobs, we have homes, we have family. There's so many places that we can express the aroma of Christ to others that they might know that there's something more than just what this world has to offer. I mean, I've shared this with you before, and I'm using a vernacular term, so I hope it doesn't offend you. But in general, this world sucks, right? I mean, I wish everything went the way I think it should go because I, of course, know what's right for everyone. But, of course, I don't. Only God knows. And because everything doesn't go right for me, sometimes life can be very difficult. Have you ever noticed that, how life can be hard? You know, things sometimes just don't work out. In fact, for me, most of the time, they don't work out the way I think they should work out. But the reality is, Jesus Christ is in charge. And through all of that, I have a peace that surpasses Scripture, tells us all understanding. I have a joy in the Lord that just exudes from my heart most of the time, even in difficulty. And that's what we want to share and spread to the world around us. That's what's called the aroma of Christ. We are to be a fragrance to, to those who are lost. Now, one of the things we have to understand I think it's interesting. It tells us that, God bless you, that they would put parts of the sacrifice on the altar, and it was, a bra- it was a brazen altar, and it had wood underneath it. and Actually, it was a specific kind of wood that they burnt that they used. It was like a barbecue, and that would cause the meat to give off this sweet-smelling aroma. But did you ever think about this? In order to, for the meat to put off the sweet-smelling aroma, it had to be in the fire, It had to be under extreme heat. And sometimes the only way we're really going to show the sweet aroma of Christ is when we're in the fire, when we're under heat. You know, it's easy to be, oh, God is good, I love Jesus, when everything is going perfect and you have no problems. But it's a whole other thing to say, You love Jesus when you're going through difficulty. And I'll tell you what, that's when people notice your faith the most. When you're going through difficulties, when you're going through hard times, and your faith remains strong in the Lord, it's a testimony, a real testimony. Now, it tells us here that um, Aaron and his sons were to have their priestly garments sanctified unto the Lord for seven days. Now, we know seven is the number of completion you know, according to Scripture. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and if you do any study on this, you will find the same thing, their garments were sanctified for seven days, and on the eighth day they would start their service to the Lord. Well, what's so interesting about that? Jesus arose from the dead on the eighth day. In Revelation, John calls the eighth day the Lord's Day. You and I, we come to church you know what I'm saying? Worshiping the Lord, and it's actually um, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's the first day of the week. It's the eighth day. And so I think there's something very interesting there for us to lay hold of. And uh, we have to realize that the Lord has called each one of us as believers to be his priests. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, recognize that in the beginning there was a very specific priesthood. Moses consecrated Aaron and his sons as priests. They were of the tribe of Levites. So it was only the Levites that served at the temple. They were a very specific group of people. But then when Jesus Christ came, there was no need for a human priesthood because for you and I, there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And it's interesting because in that uh, verse of Scripture it says, the man Christ Jesus. Because Jesus was fully God, fully man. Right? But the deity of Jesus Christ was always deity. From you know, times immemorial to times in, you know, for, for eternity. Something beyond what we can understand. Even before time began You know, Jesus was deity. He was the Son of God, the second person of the triune nature of the Lord. But we're being told here that the mediator is the man, Christ Jesus, because Jesus came to earth in the incarnation of the flesh, and it was the man, Christ Jesus, that died on the cross. God can't die. And that's why when Jesus said, when he was on the cross, and the last word he spoke was tetelestai, and that means it is finished. It means paid in full. The debt has been paid in full. That's what Jesus did for you and I. What an amazing thing it is. So in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 it says but you talking now this is talking to all believers every believer but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's the purpose of our priesthood to praise the name of Jesus? To proclaim all that he's done, not only for us, but all he desires to do for everyone. In Revelation 3, 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. And so, just like the priests had garments that uh, the Lord had sanctified and put on them, one day you and I are going to have garments too. Robes of righteousness in our glorified bodies. Now, It also tells us in this portion that any of the consecrated offerings left until morning were to be destroyed. What does that mean? What it means to you and I is, is we can't live on yesterday's sacrifice to the Lord. You know, you have people say, yep, back in 1968, I was so active in serving God. Well, what about 2019? 2019? Well, back in 1960, you can't live on, on yesterday's sacrifice and commitment to the Lord. You're, His mercies are new every morning, and the reason His mercies are new every morning is because our service to Him is new every morning. What we have to give the Lord is new today than it was yesterday. And so when it tells us anything that was left over, get rid of it. You have to start afresh with the Lord. And it also tells us here that anything or anyone who touches the altar is to be holy. And so we have to realize what this is saying is no one is held back from God. Anyone who touches the altar, anyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, anyone who's born again in the Spirit is saved, is holy, is righteous before the Lord, not because of anything we have done, but because of everything He has done for us and through us. And then in verses 38 through 46, finishing this chapter up, it says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, Day by day, continually, one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah. In other words, um, that, that would be one-tenth of a bushel. An ephah was approximately, in our weight measurements, a bushel. So one-tenth of a bushel. A flour mixed with um, one-fourth of a hen. One-fourth of a hen is about a quart of our uh, liquid. Uh, pressed oil, and one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet uh, meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And you know what? He's still sanctified by his glory. Not by us, but by his glory in our heart. Verse 44. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord God. Now understand, in a spiritual sense, the Lord has brought us up out of captivity in Egypt. When we're saved, when we're born again, we've been freed from all the temptations and desires and from, of the flesh and all the entrappings of this world. We've been freed. We've been brought out. But for what purpose? Well, it tells us here that we might be a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. That's the reason. Now, it talks about two lambs. One was um, sacrificed in the morning and the other in the evening. And... Um, You know, when I read this, what it speaks to me is the fact, actually it speaks a couple things to me, but one of the things that it speaks to me is the importance of morning and evening prayer. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to start your day off and say, Lord, here I am, I'm not much, but all that I have I give to you, use me, Lord, this day. And then at the end of the day, to have your time of evening prayer and say, thank you for getting me through this day, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me all the mess-ups that I uh, was involved in during the day. But also thank you for all the ways you have used me. Praising God. And so we also have to offer, we should be offering up a morning and evening sacrifice. Because, you see, the morning sacrifice... (laughs) <laughs> is a reminder of, of all those things that maybe we, we have done from uh, twilight to the night before up until whatever time. And then when we do the, uh, morning sacri- or the evening sacrifice, it's thanking the Lord and seeking His forgiveness for all the things that we might have done wrong during the day, but also thanking Him for all the ways He's used us. See, a sacrifice sent to the Lord was to, had two different meanings. One was forgiveness of sin, and was, one was a thank offering to the Lord for the way he is able to use us and encourage us. Now, um, in Romans, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And go to verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. That's not even anything special or above board. It's just your reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable uh, and perfect will of God. The world wants to conform us to itself. Did you know that? It really does. It really wants to conform us. But we can't be. We have to be willing to do those things that cause us to be separate from the world. You know, we're going to be ministering in in this world, so we have to do our jobs and and we have to, you know, mingle with people and whatever, you know, uh, maybe sports or social activities we're involved in the Lord can use for us to minister to people. But we have to make sure that we don't allow the world's standards and dictates to enter us. And one of the things that I I see that to me is frightening, to be honest with you, is sometimes I see, even in the church, things that the world has accepted as being okay, but the Bible clearly says is wrong, just accepting it. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, sin is sin. The fact is... Whether you're an alcoholic, whether you're an adulterer, whether you're a homosexual, whether you're you know, a glutton, whatever it might be, sin is sin. And God doesn't ever wink at sin. But the reality is we should be doing those things that we can in order to be freed from sin in our own lives and also encourage others to be freed from sin as well. But here's the thing we have to realize. If you ever approach people with any kind of a, uh, kind of an angry or condemning or judgmental attitude, you're not doing the will of the, of the Lord. Because by the same measure we judge others, we shall be judged ourselves. And so the reality is sin is sin. But, you know, like I'm around people who are sinners a lot. And if someone comes up to me and says, well, hey, you know, what do you think of this? I'm going to be honest with them, but I'm going to share it in love. But one of the things that I I was taught when I was a little boy by my father is he told me, if people don't ask your opinion, they don't want it. (laughs) And when I first got saved, I just naturally assumed every single person I I met wanted to know my opinion. (laughs) And we call that being opinionated. No one likes people who are opinionated. So, what we do is we just love people. We've had people come into this fellowship that were involved in every kind of sin imaginable. And all we do is love them. And most often, I don't have to say or do anything. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks to them and encourages them and helps them get beyond or through whatever they're dealing with. Because anytime man puts his hand to it, he defiles it. Let the Lord do the work. Stay out of his way. And... Um, in 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 16, it says this, For you are the temple, our bodies, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. He dwells in us. Uh, the Greek word is cardia, which is w- what we get the word heart from, our inner man. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. How amazing is that? God, by His Holy Spirit, dwells within us. He is our God. We're His people. And it's a wonderful thing to be a child of God because He always sees us as beautiful. You know, Vi is going to tell me I shouldn't have shared this because it will embarrass my son, Pastor Frank Jr., but I don't care. I'm going to embarrass him anyway. But um, Vi and I were, you know, talking last night and, of course, all of our children, Frank's our baby, and he's what, 45, 44? 44, and he's our baby. And, um, but we're talking about our children, and our, our, you know, we have grandchildren that are in, in the, uh, the military and in, in college and all that kind of stuff. But our kids grown But Vi was saying to me, you know, whenever I look at Frank, talking about our son Frank, Pastor Frank Jr., she said, I look at him and he's always beautiful to me. It's like that same. That first day I saw him in the hospital when he was born. And he hasn't changed since he was born. He still cries. and we, No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but he is. When I look at my son, here he is, 44 years old, and I look at him, he's still beautiful to me. The point is, that's how God sees us. He looks at us. We're his children. We're beautiful to him. Why? I don't know. Because he fills us with his Holy Spirit, but we're beautiful to God. He loves us. It's an amazing thing. In Romans 8, 9, it says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And so we have to understand what this is telling us in this verse, and it's in relationship to this sacrifice that's being uh, given here, is we have to understand, unless a person is born again, they're not a child of God. And that's one of the things the church has fallen into is accepting, well, they're a good person. Well, they're a nice person. Well, they must be saved. Well, they must be going to heaven. Here's the thing. No one is good. The heart of man is exceedingly wicked beyond understanding. Who can find it out? None are good. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's no one going to heaven because of their own righteousness. If you could go to heaven because of your own righteousness, Jesus need not have come. And that would make God an unloving father to sacrifice his son on the cross for no reason. Follow what I'm saying? Jesus had to come. And he came because God so loved the world, you and I, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever, whomsoever believes in him shall be saved and not perish. So you have to be saved. No one's going to heaven because they're a nice guy or a nice girl. You're going to heaven because you belong to Jesus, because you've made a profession of faith. And here's the thing. I don't know how many of you have ever thought to yourself, you know what? I'm pretty darn perfect. I can't even think of one negative thing about myself. Because if you... Believe that either you're self deceived, you're delusional, or psychotic, or something. You know, because anyone who looks at themselves, they know that they're sinners. They know their faults. They know their shortcomings. No pun about my height, but they know their shortcomings. But the reality is that Jesus Christ loves us and forgives us all of our sin and trespasses and continues. To forgive us, I need God's mercy and grace every day. I needed it the day I was saved, and I'll need it right up until my last breath. That's the grace and mercy of God that He freely bestows upon each one of us. Now, when it talks about um, His dwelling among the people, we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, right? Our bodies are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. And so when God's Holy Spirit comes within us, we are His dwelling place. And so we're able to take the holiness and the righteousness and the love and the mercy and the grace that God has bestowed upon us everywhere we go. I'll tell you what, there's an old euphemism. You've Well, any of you who are old uh, would remember this. You catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Any of you remember that? Yeah, there's two of you. <laughs> Got to be old to remember that, but the point is, you're going to lead more people to Christ by expressing the love, grace, and mercy of God, the aroma of Christ, than you are going around telling everybody everything you repent. You said you're going to hell, and you deserve to. You know, guess what? Nobody's going to get saved if that's your attitude and that's the way you're treating them. We have to understand that it's when we offer the grace and mercy of God, because here's the reality. Unless, like I said, a person is delusional, there's not a person I've ever met that didn't realize that they were a sinner, for all have sinned. And they know it. Now, the thing we have to realize that it's important for us that we know God. And it's experiential, in a spiritual sense, but it's experiential, like if I, in order for me to know someone, I have to have met them and had conversations with them and hung out with them, right? Well, in the same way, we have to have an experience, experiential relationship with God. We have to meet Him. We have to know Him. He speaks to us through His Word. We speak to Him through prayer. By His Holy Spirit, this communion goes back and forth. and It's a beautiful thing. But you have to know God. Because from the beginning of the world, all God ever wanted was to have fellowship with man. Think about it. When God created Adam and Eve, it tells us that God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day, have fellowship with him. And even when Adam turned his back on God and listened to the lie of Satan and he fell from the grace of God, God still provided a way. He took animal skins. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. He took animal skins, and he clothed Adam and Eve. And from that time on, God has always provided a way back to himself because God desires to have intimate fellowship with us. And brothers and sisters, the most intimate fellowship you're going to have with the Lord is when you're alone with him. Group prayer is wonderful. Prayer meetings are great. Wednesday Bible study is awesome. Worship service is awesome. It's awesome. It's all. I mean, when you talk to other people and pray, it's awesome. But you need to have those alone times with the Lord. I mean, why would we ever be afraid to have alone time with the Lord or find it a very unpleasant thing? It's a very wonderful thing to be alone with the one you love. It's a wonderful thing. And we should try to make time every day to be alone with Jesus. I'm not saying that to put you on a guilt trip or to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to encourage you. Because if you're not someone that spends time alone with the Lord, all I'm saying to you is you want to start doing it. Because you're going to be blessed out of your socks if you do. If you have that alone time with Jesus, he's going to speak to you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to fill you. You know why? Because that's what he does. He loves us. You know we're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This world has has no. You know what? I'm a human being, so I have political views. Okay, but the thing is, when I start looking into politics, I go out of my mind. Right. What are people thinking? I mean, out of your minds. But that's not where the Lord wants my mind to be. That's where the Lord doesn't want all of my energy and thoughts to be put there. I purposely, on purpose, avoid looking at the news because it just drives me crazy. I just want to be in relationship with the Lord because here's the thing we have to understand. If you believe the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation... You have to understand that in the last days, the days in which we're living, the world is going to wax worse and worse. Sin is going to become more and more prevalent. One day, we're going to have a one world government under the leadership of the Antichrist. So we have to understand that's where the world's going. You know, it's not like the Lord's in heaven saying, well, gee, I can't work now because the world's going in a different way. The Lord knows exactly what's going on. And so we have to realize that what you see going on in politics, what you see going on in the news is just God's purpose being fulfilled. That's why we have to keep our focus on him. We're supposed to look up because our redemption is drawing near, right? Father, we come before you in Jesus name, thanking you for your word and the truth we find in it. And even in these very difficult portions of Scripture, you have such deep and wonderful lessons for us to learn. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that if there are any here right now this morning that don't know you, they wouldn't leave here the same, but they'd leave here as a child of the living God, having been born again of the Spirit. And I pray, Father, that... Also, any in our fellowship who are going through difficulties, whether it be um, emotional or physical or relationship, whatever the difficulty is, Lord, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and bring them peace and healing. And now, Father, I ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen, my dear friends.